spreading Cajun across the nation, pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review, made by the fans for the fans. Welcome to Rage and Review, Cajun Nation. Matt Miguez here, Jerry Abair, and Josh Jagno, man about town, join me. We have won yet another conference title in a diamond sport. Of course, we're talking about Rage and Cajun softball claiming their 17th Sun Belt Conference Championship in program history uh, after defeating Coastal Carolina. In three straight games this weekend, they improved to, I'll get you the record right now, I'm bad podcast host, I didn't have it in front of me, 38-9 on the, on the season, uh, winning the regular season title, and I mean, well, let's face the facts, they're going to they're gonna win the tournament title as well, but uh, once again, welcome to Region Review, Matt Miguez, Jerry Abair, Josh Jagno with me, gentlemen, good morning, happy Cinco de Mayo, um, Josh, how, how many beers have you had this morning? Hola, uh, zero beers. Um, and I'm, I'm certainly going to not have a Corona today. So, uh, everybody watch out for the Coronas out there, but anyway, no, uh, always good to win a championship. Softball is just an absolute, it, it's a, it's a behemoth program and congrats to the girls. Always good to beat the, the beach chickens for sure. And look, if you look at COVID the season, Carolina. So, COVID Carolina. That's right. And uh, if you look at the season, they've, they've definitely overcome some odds to put together a pretty salty record. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what they can do in the postseason. So congrats to Jerry Glasgow and the girls. Yeah. What's, what's going on guys. Uh, happy single de Mayo, a uh, happy Wednesday, happy hump day. One it's, day closer my, to the weekend. It's my independence day. Hey, there you go, man. There you go. Go celebrate, have a few tacos and, and go celebrate your day. I plan on, but, it. uh, <laughs> But don't, don't, don't try to get there too late, man. It's going to be packed with a lot of people celebrating with you. So I uh, just want to say uh, everybody celebrating out there. Be careful. Uh, definitely want to, you know, uh, sanitize, of course. Um, you know, we're not out of this thing yet, but on our way to uh, some pro- making some progress here. Anyways, but on top of that, uh, congratulations. Uh, I'll reiterate what you guys said. Congratulations, Coach Jerry Glasgow. And the ladies, another Another conference championship in softball. And what better way to do it than to go to Coastal, sweep them, and uh, take care of business. You know, in spite of the injuries, in spite of the ups and downs, in spite of the roller coaster ride that this team is going through this year, uh, it's amazing that they still were able to, to clinch another conference. Uh, yeah, another conference championship. Um, it's definitely a great job on Coach Glasgow and his staff on handling that situation. Uh, Got to give a shout out to the to the players and the ladies that have really stepped up in, in times of adversity. And uh, what better way to do it than to do it, like you said, against the, the Astro Clears of Coastal Carolina. You know, it's funny. Ever since that game was uh, canceled against Coastal back in December for football, uh, I think the Diamond Sports have uh, taken out their anger on, on Coastal's uh, teams, whether it's baseball and softball. Uh, I believe out of seven games Six and uh, one. combined between – yeah, between baseball and softball, the Cajuns have won six out of seven. So if there's a way to make a statement on uh, not playing a conference championship game in football, what better way than to uh, make a statement by winning six out of seven 
and uh, matchups between the two schools. So congratulations to Coach Glasgow and the girls. And uh, let's hope they continue this momentum as they make a push for the postseason. Yeah, you know, the the interesting thing about this program is, okay, so like we said, they're 38-9, and nine, just won the Sunbelt Conference title. They're going to be the number one seed going into the Sunbelt Conference tournament. And, you know, it's it's no secret that they're probably going to win the Sunbelt Conference tournament as well. But here here's where things get interesting. You brought up injuries, Jerry. They are still without Raina O'Neill, which we haven't gotten an update in a while, but when she was first injured, the game plan was that she would return for the postseason. Yeah, and you know what's ironic? If you look at their record, they're what, 38-9 now, I believe? Just imagine if she played this year. Uh, you know, those 38 wins might turn into 42 wins or and, 43 and, wins. And, and, and you know, that's how much of a difference she makes. This might be one of the worst conference records we've had in a while. 19 and two. We lost <laughs> yeah, two conference right. games this year. <laughs> we, we, we become victims of our own success sometimes. Right? Right? And I mean, 19 and two, any other school would be celebrating that. And here we are going, we lost two conference games. Oh my gosh. What do right. we do? Um, but that's what happens when you set your own standards. And, and, but, but at the same time, uh, 19 and two was good enough for a re- another regular season conference championship, 17 conference championships in the last 20 seasons. That is a huge, huge accomplishment. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, you hope that Raina can come back soon because, you know, in spite of the conference tournament, you, 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 you don't want to drop a tournament game because you don't obviously want your RPI to drop too much because now it's all about seeding. We all know the Cajuns aren't going right. to host, but at the same time, you, you might get sent somewhere that's a winnable regional. You know, not necessarily UCLA or or some I mean, crazy home I mean, regional, is, but somewhere well, where you well, can let's, win. Let's talk about this. Is hosting really out of the question? Yeah, because the, they they chose the the spots. The selection um has, I believe, the final twenty spots. And and oh, uh, they already they already picked them. Yeah, we we, okay, we didn't I'm get a, chosen. I'm and what's ironic. That. It's all P5 schools. Of so, course of course, you know, course they're, they're going to be biased That's, that's, about the, that's it. And, the NCAA uh, screwing little brother once again. But, um, yeah, exactly. you know, let, let, let's get back to the Rayno O'Neill conversation. And Josh, this is probably where you're going to jump in. I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Um, you know, obviously her coming back, the, the defensive player that she is, the offensive player that she is, obviously it would be a boost. But at the same time, you've played the entire season without her. Could her coming back at this point kind of throw a wrench into things? Well, of course, any any kind of lineup change can, you know, move people around, uh, put them in an uncomfortable situation. But at the same time, you get a bat like Rayna O'Neal to start protecting Julie Rawls and Carly Heath and those type of hitters. Um, you know, you never, again, I know Matt Degg said this, you never want to rely on one person to, to you know, really – propel a lineup but in this case everybody else is kind of they've got the season under them they've got some experience they've uh you know in the case of some of the younger bats that have really come through later in the season i think people are, are comfortable in their roles now and i think that reyna o'neill has the respect of the team i think they're all going to be excited for her to, to return to the lineup on that same note is dalton still a candidate to come back before the end of the season or no, is she done she is done she is done okay so you know you're adding one bat it's not like you're totally changing the lineup with, you know, two or three returning uh, players off of injury. So I think that, yeah, of course, there's always a possibility that it'll throw things off Kelter, but I feel like the positive is a lot more 
Um, I think that you get a positive result out of this situation more times than not, especially with an All-American returning to the lineup. Yeah, um, I mean, I agree with that. I think I think the reward of her returning to the lineup is better than the risk. But you know, I just I've heard people say that you know it could throw a wrench in things. I just I wanted to play devil's advocate there. But so like like we said, thirty eight nine won the Sun Belt Conference Championship. Looking forward to the postseason for Gary Jerry Glasgow and his girls. You know, now let's get into the obvious elephant in the room and that is that baseball has lost again yay baseball has lost baseball has lost two out of three baseball has lost two out of three uh in a in a sunbelt series yet again this time at home against texas state uh they played friday night and then a doubleheader saturday and the cajuns their lone win I mean, I didn't watch it, but I listened to it on the radio. That that one win was pretty damn dominant. So my my question is, so obviously, you know, Friday night we all we everybody knows what happened in the game Friday night. Saturday you come back and you answer with a with a dominant nine nothing victory. And then thirty minutes later you play again and look like a whole different ball team. I um I went to the first and third game. I, I actually, I missed the game where the Cajuns took care of business and, and shut them out. Um, and I find that the second game, one thing I, I've noticed is that, you know, Connor Cook, man. Oh, he's Cookie, a freak. He's, he's killing it right freak. now. And, but, but what's important is that the team responds to his performance on the mound. And they have been, I mean, even the Little Rock game that the Cajuns lost on that, 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 that horrible uh, error on uh, that last out. Yeah, I mean Connor we were Cook we were, we were gonna we were gonna win that game. He pitched a gym and 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 so every game that he's pitched on Saturdays, you know, the Cajuns have taken care of business for the most part. And so you know, that's it that's good to see. Um, you know, I think once Spencer kind of gets back into his groove, which I have faith that he will, you know, that one two punch on those those two those two starters, it's gonna be beneficial moving forward. I, I do think that um I think with, with this team right now, it's all about timing. I mean, one thing I'm trying to look for is how many runners in scoring position we left last week. I mean, we left so many men on base. I mean, look, here's some interesting stats, okay, over this weekend, right? So we scored two runs, two, two, and we scored a total of 13 runs, all right? Most of which came in game two where we scored nine. So we scored two runs in game one and game three, scored nine in game two. We, we had a team batting average. We hit 284 this weekend, okay? We only struck out, which has been a huge problem. We only struck out a total of 15 times, which means that's an average of five times a game, which for us is not, that's not bad. And so no, that's not bad know, for any team. Right. And so what, what it, what it, what it really, what I've noticed is the strikeouts numbers are down and we're swinging the bat. The problem is that we're either hitting or hit, I mean, look, Friday night, even with everything that happened, we, we made contact with the ball, but we're hitting it to people. And they're hard outs. I mean, we had a bunch of outs in the on the warning track. We had a bunch of outs that were line drives. We had a bunch of outs where Texas State defensively just had a great. They they just they just played the ball perfectly. So you know, the, the, I've noticed that. And then also too, they've left. We left a lot of guys in scoring position. A lot of runners in scoring position. So you know, it's it's. I can't really fault the the lack of bats last weekend. I thought the bats really did as much as they could. 
Um, you know, they just, it, the ball just didn't fall where, where it was supposed to. I mean, if we would have struck out 25 times or 30 times, then yeah, I would be saying that, but you know, the team's making contact. It's just not, they're not putting the ball where it needs to be. It's, it's hard outs. It's, you know, the defensive lineup is the, the defensive alignment for Texas state. They just played it well. Um, and I think that'll eventually fall. Um, I think my main issue now, and we're about to talk about this is, is, is deep on the defensive side. Uh, we didn't make any errors, but somehow Texas state just got timely hits. I mean, they just put the ball in play. They put it where it needs to be to get on base. And unfortunately we did everything we could on the batting side to, to respond to it. But you know, when, when you have somebody under it in the warning track, catching your fly ball, there's really nothing you can do. So I just thought it was one of those weekends where um, we were competitive, but we weren't. And I think those are, the good news is, is we are improving at the, at the plate, but now we just need to get the timely hit and we can't leave these men on the runners in scoring position. We're leaving too many men on base. I mean, Josh, I think you mentioned last week and one of the losses to Little Rock, what was it? 12 men on base, 11 men on base. I mean, we, we can't, you can't win games. You're not going to win games like that against anyone. And uh, hopefully this weekend you're playing a North Alabama team that's struggling you can you can improve on that and you can get the timely hits and, and hitting's contagious. You um, know, you get the runs. I mean that that that'll be that could be, you know, you can build confidence moving forward. And right now we need as much confidence as possible because we are in a slump. I'm very I'm very glad you brought that up, Jerry. Talking about North Alabama this weekend. Obviously, with the way the Cajuns have played over the last couple of weeks, I don't know how much of a factor RPI still is. For us. I, I haven't looked at the RPI rankings. I don't know where we're at. It's really not, man. It's really not. Um so not I guess anymore. I guess we I guess we can stop saying that the North Alabama series is gonna hurt us because again, in terms of RPI, I don't know what what exactly we're really playing for. But you know, the the, the question still remains, you know, how much good outside of a confidence standpoint can this series really do for us? I'm I, so much to say, obviously, so I'll try to stay on on point. Really quick, North Alabama, not a good team. North Alabama lost to Alabama 8-6 to six in a midweek game. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, as far as what Jerry said, I can't disagree with much of that, but one thing I will say is that when you're in a slump, you've proven that you can get runners in from second and third with less than one out or clutch hits with two outs. When you do it over the course of a season or you fail to do it, it's not a slump. There's something else. There's the, the not being able to get runners home when they're in scoring position, uh, saying that it's a slump is just you're painting over a larger problem. It's like uh, painting over a hole in a sheetrock wall. We've got a much larger issue at hand. Uh, but again, that's a little bit further along in the conversation. I want to kind of return to Friday. Friday, and this is an echo of something that Jay Walker said on the We're Talking podcast. You know, they opened it up 100% for fans to return to the ballpark at Lampson and at the Tee. They brought back the, the outside vendors. Uh, Maggard's done a, a phenomenal job of getting the games on television and really trying to accommodate our fan base for the Diamond Sports in this, you know, strange COVID time. We sold 70 tickets Friday, 7-0. That's outside of the, you know, season ticket holders and everything. So 70 general admission, quote unquote, general admission tickets. 
That is disgraceful. And uh, I, I just, you know, Jay said it and it really struck a nerve because we, we talk about how great our fan base is and great atmosphere and it's a great place to watch a ball game and all of those things are true. But it's only true when we're, you know, 38 and 12. It's, it's really st- it's starting to come around that this fan base is a little bit of a front-running fan base. I agree with Jay in that regard. Now, I understand that the weather played a factor and they did move the game up and some of that stuff is true. But, you know, we got to do better than that. It costs a lot of money to put these games on television. It costs a lot of money to get these extra vendors. It costs a lot of money to accommodate the fans that we expect to, to attract to these games. And it goes for softball as well. We got to do better. It's open now. We need to show up. I know it's great to watch it on TV. That's awesome. You got your beer there. You got your chips there. That's great. I understand it. I understand the, the value and the convenience but we have to support our programs now more than ever. I mean, we're coming off of a year of just hemorrhaging money. We got to step up and go to the ballpark. That's number one. Number two, shout out to Brandon Talley for being named to the stopper of the year list. Uh, If you look at his numbers, they're gaudy. He's been a dog since he's been here. Really like BT a whole lot. And, uh, you know, I expect great things out of him for the, for the rest of his Cajun career. So well-deserved national recognition for, for Tal there. Now let's talk about the game. Uh, Spencer Arigetti has been about as good as you can find from a consistent standpoint, a consistency standpoint on this staff. He's been great. He's been nails. He's beaten TCU. He's beaten Louisiana Tech. He's given you a chance to win every time out. And that cannot be understated enough. He really provided a stopgap when you were looking for people to step up into that Friday, Saturday, Sunday role, because obviously the guys that we thought were going to do certain things going into the season did not. And uh, that's another conversation for later. At any rate, Arigetti was your guy. He stepped up for Friday. He goes in, he retires 11 straight to start the game. And then the wheels come completely off. Uh, and, And that's not a shot at Spencer. In fact, it's, it's not a shot at Spencer at all. It is, more of questioning how and why that was handled the way it was. You know, he gives up the three-run bomb, and that was really the first shot across the bow. And supposedly, Matt walked out there for, what, 10 seconds. I mean, Jerry saw that. I I did not even see that. Uh, Sometimes I get blind with anger when it comes to stuff like that, but I may have missed it. I didn't see it, but apparently it happened. But after that, he gave up seven more consecutive hits and six more runs or seven more runs consecutively with two outs in the inning. We left him out there to die. Again, the same thing we did to Hayden Dirk at USM. The explanation given to the Cajuns fan base was that he was quote unquote tipping pitches. Now, if you go back and look at it, maybe he was tipping pitches. It's believable. In fact, I had heard that rumor three weeks prior, but he was still consistent and still delivering. So I guess they didn't really pay that much attention to it which is even a larger issue that we can get into. But to stay on track, you left him out there to die. He does, it, you know, the, the inning plays out the way it does. Deg says he's tipping pitches. My very first thought as, a, as an observer is, well, why the hell didn't you have anybody, lie, you know, warming up in the, in the bullpen uh, <laughs> soon at all? I mean, it, was, it took so long. I think they had scored eight runs before anybody got up. 
I would have had double barrel bullpen after the three run homer, especially if you knew the guy was tipping pitches or you suspected it. So specific to the game on Friday, and then I'll go back to you guys. I mean, what, what, how the hell do you have any kind of explanation outside of just complete and total lack of care? Well, you know, let, let's, let's also talk about this. Um, with two outs in the inning was when this all started. Let's, let's talk about the fact that Tyler Robertson was playing third base. I don't remember. Again, I, I tried so quickly to forget the game Friday night. Um, I don't remember when T-Rob's error was, but I know it was in that two-out sequence. Well, it was the the error. It was basically a miscommunication between him, him and Brett, and it was like the very first batter of the game. I think it was the very first pitch of the game, if I remember right. But it didn't really play into that rally. I the, thought it was the, in. I thought it was in the fifth inning. No, no, that happened at the very beginning of the game. Oh, see, I was I was told that T. Rob made an error in the fifth inning. Well, mm. what happened was on that us on the two out. What 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 started the two out rally was I wouldn't say T. Rob missed the ball at play, but I, in my opinion, this is just my opinion. A regular third baseman probably would have made that play and got us out the inning. Okay, see, that, um, that's, what I was, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, well, like, so, look, so perhaps, what started... But that, that's not an error, though. No, no, I, and that's well, not... Whatever, whatever you want to call it. But my, not, my point, my point no is, means. my point is, is that you have, a, if you have a guy like Cofield or Brandon or Grizzly there, that rally very well never happens. Well, look... I, I think that I think that that's splitting hairs because if you look at the season that we've had and the third and the I mean the carousel of folks that have played third base, I don't necessarily think many many of those guys make that play. Maybe Grizzly does. And look, I love Brett, but Brett's a shortstop. I don't think Brett makes that play. I don't think Cofield makes that play. I don't think CJ makes that play. I don't. Ben Fitzgerald certainly doesn't make the play. So I'm not going to kill Tr on that. In fact, I would like to have a conversation after this about TR and the experiment over the weekend, whether you think it worked or not offensively, defensively, but the larger point is that, yeah, there were two outs in the inning, but he was, especially Eric was mowing people down and then it just came off. Why the hell did we not have somebody ready to go in the pen? If they suspected him of tipping pitches three weeks ahead of this start, that is inexcusable to me. And I can tell you, you know, one great thing about this podcast is that folks reach out to us, especially when we strike a nerve with our topics. You guys have seen the messages across social. You've seen the, the private messages we've been sent, the text messages, folks stopping you in the stadium to make comments. Look, people are unhappy and I can't blame them. God, no. Stuff like that on a Friday. That's three Fridays in a row where we're not really competitive, and I'm not necessarily putting that on Spencer. I'm talking about at the dish as well. So there, there is no, in my mind, there is no explanation for not being ready to pull Spencer at that moment. I mean, you have to have some sort of a backup plan when you think a guy is tipping pitches. Yeah, I, I agree. I think when you know this ahead of time, you have to have a contingency, right? It's like, it's almost like a, uh, <clears throat> when you walk into a building or before a game, they tell you where the emergency exits are, right? Or before an airplane flight, here's what you do in case of an emergency. 
you have to have a contingency plan like that in place. If you know your your ace, your Friday night guy is tipping pitches, you got to have a backup plan. And I'm sure the coaching staff did. I, I in my honest opinion, I didn't think. Look, it's let's be honest. What happened Friday night, okay, is something we've look, Josh. You played baseball. I've been to hundreds of games. Matt, you've been to many baseball games. Let's just say it's safe to say that's a once in a lifetime instance where we'll probably never see something like that again. And so, you know, for me, in my humble opinion, I think that with the two outs, they probably figured that regardless of if Spencer is tipping pitchers or not, they probably figured that, Hey, it's Spencer. He's going to get one out. Uh, you know, no, I don't think anybody thought going into that sequence of events that he was going to give up what 10 straight hits and give up nine runs. I mean, that's such a, I mean, an uncommon thing. I mean, I, you know, right. You're not but, wrong. But you got to have and somebody you, ready. You, I agree right. with that. And, but yeah. like, yeah, like you, like you just said to Josh's point, if you suspected for three weeks now, the Spencer has been tipping pitches by the time the fourth inning comes, I don't care if the kids actually like getting like throwing live pitches in the bullpen, getting ready, but at least have somebody stretching, getting loose. Oh, yes. I'll agree with that. Absolutely. And, you, and look, you're and not at least wrong. have somebody. And, and on it's top a, of that, after going through, usually the big, the big test is after you go through your, your lineup for the first time, right? You face the first get nine somebody in the pit every time. One, right. I don't give a damn if God almighty himself is pitching. <laughs> You see the batting order one time, you get a kid loose. Well, just get him stretching. Yeah, just get him. You get him yeah. loose. Be him on. Be on standby. Be on standby. Yeah. And, and look, some of the hits were not blasted, but a few of them were. I mean, they were. They didn't miss many of those pitches. He wasn't fooling anybody. You know, if I have a kid that has a drug addiction problem, it doesn't matter how smart I think he is. I'm probably going to start lining up some counselors to help him as this shit progresses. It's irresponsible not to have a backup plan, even with Spencer. And I guess you can kind of look at it and say there's a small bit of respect that they trusted him to get out of the inning. I understand that. But what I think was he wanted to save the pin. He figured Spencer would give up a few and get out of it. And he didn't. Well, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. But when the plane hits the mountain, now you're totally screwed and it's 10 to nothing. (laughs) So it's, I I think this is a pivotal, pivotal series in the season, man. Oh yeah. I think what's crazy. Winning winning two out of three would have put us in first place in the West. Would it not have? Well, it would have at least had his tie. Yeah. I mean, what's what's frustrating is that it was this rally started on two outs. You just needed one out. Just one. If it was if it were the rally would have started on one out, then, yeah, I would say absolutely have him ready. Like, do what you got to do, because now he's got to get two outs. We only had to make one out. And that's the that's the insane part about it. When you think about it, really, of how that how it all broke down, like, wow, like. Again, this is something we'll never see again. But I agree with you, Josh. I do think you have to, and Matt too, we do have to have a contingency plan. But I just, like you said, man, I just think the coaching staff just figured he can get just one out. I mean, it's really, it was one out. And you know, know, that's not a, that's not an illogical, you know, assumption. Correct. But, uh, but again, you never, especially in baseball, you never know what the hell is going to happen, man. I I agree. You just don't know. What I would say about that is, you know, we continue to have these moments with this coaching staff where we say, but why? 
if it was a one-off, like if, if Tony with 25 years under his belt would have done something like this, most people will look at it and say, look, Tony trusts this guy. Uh, we, you know, it's our ace on a Friday. Like we understand it because he's got skins on the wall. It makes it a little bit easier to swallow. This particular year with this particular coaching staff, you continue to look at yourself and go, why though? But why? Where was the decision? Why didn't you have a backup plan? Right. What, look, we're going to continue to get more into it. But as of again, as a fan, well, just observing, I needed somebody to go get loose, even stir in the nobody moved. You know what I mean? It was just a bizarre thing that happened. I'm going to make one more comment and then we're going to transition into a break and we'll pick up this conversation on the other side of the break. I'm looking at the Sunbelt standings. You guys realize that with how with how poorly that we have been playing over the last two, three weeks, that if the standings stay relatively untouched this weekend, next weekend in Arlington, Texas, is going to decide first place in the West. That's insane, man. We are like still in contention to get a buy a lot more, in this conference tournament. That says a lot more about how bad the Sunbelt West is than anything else. UTA yeah, is sitting this year is UTA is sitting at first is. place at what is their record? They are 10 and 5 in the conference, 22 and 23 overall. Wow. Yeah, it, it's it's not I mean, look, we I think we're, we're the only, the only we're, team in the conference above 500. Or one of them at a conference. I'm sorry, the, the West. The West. Aren't we one of the only teams in the West above 500 as an overall record? Overall, um, ULM is at 500. They're 20 and 20. Oh my wow. gosh. <laughs> oh Everybody man. else is below 500. 0. 0.489, 0. 0.462, 0. 0.413, uh, and 0. 0.378. Arkansas I mean, State is 14 and 23, people. And you know what's more frustrating about that is that we know. The capable, how capable we are as a team. What's more frustrating about this is the fact that we, 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 it's ours for the taking. It's ours for the taking, yep. and we just give it away sometimes. You know, yep. like come on. One hundred percent. We'll take a break here on Raging Review. When we come back, we'll continue this conversation about the rest of the season for for the Cajuns. Uh, we'll talk about Tyler Robertson, and then we will get into a very entertaining Raging Review rant. All that and more right here on Rage Interview. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Acadiana business owners, are you looking for custom solutions from local professionals that understand your business needs? Maybe you're looking to streamline your processes, become more efficient, and achieve elevated peace of mind? Utilizing and combine 30 years of experience in the financial and technology fields, the Vaulted Security Team is ready to assist you with reaching your goals. From credit card processing, internet and phone services, website hosting and design, to hosted cloud, even digital marketing and recovery software, Vaulted Security can do it all. 
Here's a message from Solutions Specialist, Anna Bourgeois. Hi, I'm Anna Bourgeois, your Solutions Specialist, and it's my goal to understand how we can make your business run more efficiently while increasing profits. I'm very passionate about doing business genuinely. In the merchant services industry and other business areas, it's hard to find a partner that you can trust without question. I'm here to change that perception. Give me a chance to show you what true partnership is all about. Contact Anna today at 337-210-4272 or email Anna at Vaulted Security. Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana Athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Award Master, located at 3219 Johnston Street, is the only award shop licensed by Louisiana Athletics. In business in Lafayette for over 45 years, Award Master creates one-of-a-kind trophies, medals, and awards using a wide variety of materials, including resin, glass, wood, acrylic, and more. Owners Adam and Sarah Lopez are proud UL alumni, as well as Cajun Cooking Club members. Adam and Sarah can also help with your business promotional items. Rage and Review you trust award masters for all of their needs and you will too award masters is so much more than just an award shop give award masters a call today 337-984-1414 or go to awardmaster.com award master the recognition and personalization experts Dropping the steamy music for the for the hot takes that we drop in here on Rage and Review. Welcome back, Matt Miguez, Jerry Abear, Josh Jagno. Guys, you know, now let's let's finish up that that scheduling conversation that we were talking about with baseball and the possibilities that the Cajuns could have a bye in the Sunbelt Conference tournament. I mean, looking looking at the season, Cajuns are nine and nine in the conference. 23 and 20 on the year and I mean a normal year you're out of contention at that point to host a bye um, with, with the talent that this conference has but I mean call it COVID call it what you want this is a year where the Cajuns can have a, a subpar year in the conference and still be in contention for a top seed. Hell, I'm just trying to take two out of three from North Alabama. But uh, if you get a one or a two seed, you're pretty much, I mean, you have a leg up on the rest of the conference. 
So the goal should be <laughs> just just win as many conference games as you have left. I think, what do we have, two series left? Yeah. Is it two or three? Two. Two. So, you know, I mean. UTA and Troy. UTA is going to be, uh, you know, relatively similar to Texas State. I saw that their Friday night guy just won pitcher of the week. Uh, so, you know, obviously a formidable challenge there, and you got to go on the road, which, by the way, Dallas is always a good road trip. So if anybody's looking to catch some baseball next weekend, uh, that's always yeah, a good trip. Too. Also, too, we've lost six straight, I believe, at Arlington. We haven't won a game in can't tell you. I mean, it's been a while since we've won a baseball game down there. Um, yeah, so we have ghosts to, to exercise. The thing is, there. you know, I know I said it last week going into Texas State, and unfortunately, you know, going into the eight-game homestand, I thought that this team really had a chance to make a statement and, and build some momentum. Unfortunately, since then, we're one and three. Um, but these next four games, and I'll say it again, uh, third time's a charm, maybe. Um, these next four games are crucial because you're playing a team that's seven and 34 in North Alabama. We know they're not a, really the best team, but you never know. It's baseball, right? You never know if we have a bad game or uh, North Alabama decides to turn it on, they might steal a game or two, you know? Um, and then you have Southern on Tuesday, which for the most part, we've pretty much have, have had their number for a while. Um, so these next four games at home, I mean, to me, it's almost like in order for us to build momentum, we have to go four for four and we have to dominate. Um, this is one of these, these series of games. If you want to build confidence going into the postseason, you want to build confidence going into the last two conference series, this, these next four games are crucial for that. Um, you know, this is a game where you can improve on your fielding. You have a chance to get some hits, score, score double-digit runs. It's a chance where your pitching can kind of settle down and, and create, create, some, uh, create some momentum, correct any mistakes they've made over the past couple of weeks, allow you know, your bullpen to get some work in, pitch a few innings, build some confidence, get a few strikeouts, uh, give up some scoreless innings. So this, this week is crucial because you're playing against teams that you should beat. Uh, so hopefully this weekend against North Alabama, this team can take care of business, get a sweep, and um, – you know, build some momentum going into next weekend against uh, UTA. Jerry, you mentioned pitching and, you know, believe it or not, pitching has really held it together. I know we've had some spotty situations where things have kind of gotten out of hand, but all in all, if you take how we play defense and you, you take the up and down roller coaster of how we do offense, I'm not going to call that hitting. It's just how we do offense. Uh, you take that and put it all in a blender and really Pitching has risen to the top. They've kept us in most games. Now, certain guys have had a couple of struggles lately, but I did some homework and I want to highlight a situation on this pitching staff that has really bothered me uh, from the get-go of this season. Uh, I'm going to do mystery pitcher number one and mystery pitcher number two, and then I'm going to explain why this is important to me. I'd like you guys to guess who number one and number two is. I'll start. Okay. And now, by the way, I picked two pitchers, one of which I'm trying to highlight. The two pitchers that I'm going to talk about are very similar in innings pitch, et cetera. There's a lot of things that are very close to, uh, to each other. So try to stay with me. I know it's a little bit of inf information, but we'll get through it. All right. In 20.1 innings of work, but 16 appearances, mystery pitcher number one, has a 487 ERA, a 122, excuse me, 123 whip. 
And for people that don't really follow analytics, whip is walks and hits in innings pitched, right? Per innings pitched is an easier way to say that. So, you know, 123 is pretty good. Just keep that in mind. Giving up 11 earned runs, has 25 strikeouts, and two wild pitches. Mystery pitcher number two, okay? Like I said, very similar. 19 innings pitched in only seven appearances. Has a 189 ERA, a 132 whip. He's given up four earned runs, 21 strikeouts, zero wild pitches. Anybody want to take a guess who mystery number one might be? Is that Jack Burke? Is Jack Burke number two? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say number one is uh, Chipper Menard. Mystery pitcher number one would be one of the darlings of the staff, Mr. Jacob Schultz. Hmm. ERA of almost five. Roughly the same amount of Ks in double the appearances than Jack Burke, mystery pitcher number two, with a 189 ERA, a 132 whip, has given up four earned runs this season, folks. No wild pitches and a comparable amount of strikeouts. Anybody care to take a stab at why there's such a discrepancy between those guys? I have a theory, but I'll let you guys go first. Well, I don't know why. I don't, the only thing I could assume is he might have injury problems. Anytime you have situations like that, you know, you you might have something wrong with your, your arm. You may have something wrong, something wrong injury wise, because when you think about it with Jack Burke, that Sunday game against Tulane, the first weekend, he basically, I mean, he came in with the save. He pitched what five or six innings. The coaching staff left him out there to, to battle. And he did, he did. He, he answered the call and he clinched the series for us on the mound in those last couple of innings. Now, of course, the bats complimented him, but he held his ground. Um, and then against Coastal, I mean, he was one one hit away from a no-hitter in five innings. So I, I really don't understand it. Um, the only assumption I can make is injuries. Outside of that, I, I don't know, because I kind of wish, you know, his he's this he's what is it's his 17, 18, 19. This is fifth year. He's a fifth year senior, I believe. I mean, at one point he was a weekend starter a few years ago. He was the go-to guy as a midweek starter. I would assume he would have gotten a lot more uh, chances to really prove himself. Um, and so I don't know. I, I can't explain it. Um, I'm not a coach. I wish I, I wish we would see him more often. The only reason I would assume why we wouldn't see him is because of it. He might be facing some type of injury. I mean, other than that, the stats the stats, stats speak for themselves. I mean, he's he's got really good stats for his appearances so far. I'm glad you mentioned injuries. Uh, and real quick before we move off of this, Jack is sporting a 189 ERA. Connor Cook, 1.88. Just another morsel for you guys. But here's the thing, the injury thing. You know, again, I mentioned at the beginning of the pod that we have the benefit of having folks to reach out to us because, you know, sometimes we hit on nerves and you know, everybody has an opinion nowadays, so they, they like to, uh, to send in their thoughts. And we'll call it information through the grapevine is that uh, Jack is healthy, has been healthy. Uh, there is no lingering pain, no, no issues whatsoever. And uh, maybe even Jack himself is wondering, why the hell am I not getting injuries? Or, excuse me, uh, innings. So I don't want to get too specific on things because that, that would be inappropriate. But 
to get further in on the Jack situation, I'm going to ride for Jack because Jack has been my favorite pitcher, uh, you know, not named Gunner or Wyatt since 2016. You know, Jack Burke was the last pitcher, maybe Bradford, maybe him and Bradford on that 2016 team. Jack was here in 2016. He saw what winning looks like. Okay. So he's one of the last Mohicans guys. We keep talking about analytics versus manalytics. Jack Burke is a dog. Jack Burke knows how to go out and get outs. When Jack hurt his arm against LSU, he did it out of competition. You remember that, that you know, guy, you know what I'm talking about in Baton Rouge where guy hits it up the middle. I think it might've been Bregman actually. He sticks his arm out, damn near rips his shoulder off, makes the play. That, that wasn't analytical. That was manalytical. He stuck his arm out and made a play because he's a competitor. You know, a lot of people say we don't we don't have the competitors that we used to have on this team. Well, Jack's one of them. Where is where are his appearances? Where are his innings? But I want to continue down this path. Do you know when Jack Burke pitches in a game for this team, they're five and two this season? Did you know in two starts this season, Jack has given up 10 hits, nine of which to Tulane, only two earned runs and two walks. 10 K's that's in two starts. This is a team that cannot find a Sunday starter, but in two starts, Jack Burke has been absolutely brilliant. What, I mean, what's the deal here? He's three and all in the season, three on three and all in the season, two and all as a starter. Let us not forget that that gem of a, of, a, of a performance against the Vanderbilt Commodores, number six team in the country, I believe it was at the time in Houston that he pitched. I mean, probably his best game he's pitched ever as a Cajun. Uh, One of the better that, games I've seen pitched as occasion some, in recent I mean, history. SEC pitchers couldn't do that uh, against a team like Vanderbilt. And of course, I got to be biased. He's a Jesuit Blue Jay. So, I mean, got to show love. So, <laughs> you know, this guy right here, this is the guy we're using situationally for two thirds of an inning. You know, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to go a little bit further in the jack. Now, keep in mind, 18 pitchers have seen legitimate time this season, 2021. 18 pitchers that have recorded stats. Jack is third in the team in walks given up. He's fourth on the team in ERA. As I mentioned, Cookie is 1.88. Just keep that in mind. I mean, that blows my mind. And, you know, just real quick to, to kind of derail, didn't Cook have his struggles at the beginning of the season? He didn't necessarily have a role. 100%. He figure out what he wanted to do. But you know what the difference is? They gave him innings. You want to know they something? They gave him time to figure it out. You want to know something? I got a text message from a RCAF donor about three or four weeks into the season. Cook's trash. I don't understand why we're pitching him. <laughs> well, that's, that's you, stupid. You, you, think, you think they're saying that now? No. no. But again, he was given the opportunity to figure it out. Where's Jack's opportunity? Jack's got skins on the walls for this program. Where is his, Where's, his opportunity? Where, where was, where was Hayden Dirk's opportunity to figure it out? Well, outside of, outside of, you know, Let's talk about that. injuries, it makes me wonder though. It makes me wonder what are they seeing at practice that we as fans can't see that Jack's doing? Is he, is he not pitching well at practice? Not a, well, not a look, damn, not right. a damn thing. This is a case of coaching staff incompetence. Well, I don't know if it's incompetence. I just think that they've picked favorites. And I've been told that by many people around the program. Deggs has his quote unquote guys. And also I've also been told that at practice ain't a bunch of practicing going on. Pitchers shag balls. But but look, I don't want to get too far off. I want to finish these stats and then we can have some more fun. He's eighth on the team in whip out of 18 pitchers. This guy's a reliever. He's 15th in appearances and ninth in innings pitched. Those those stats don't line up. 
They, they don't. And look, I'm not necessarily a big stat guy, but it helps to tell the story. Jack Burke, if you take out 2018 after you got hurt, his career ERA at this program is 2.38 in 45 career appearances. 2.38. We're missing something here, guys. Can't explain it. Can't explain it. After Seems the, to be a trend the, with this coaching staff, man. And I'll after continue the performance, to say After the performance against Tulane, the way he came in at such a crunch time, I mean, look, he gives up one or two runs. We lose that, that Sunday game and, and we lose the series. And he came through. Um, he pitched, I think, like five or six innings when we went into extras and, and, and mowed him down. Um, so I would assume by then he would have gotten a few more opportunities. But – you know, we haven't seen him. Like I said, the only thing I could say is maybe he's he's hurt and we don't know it, or there's something at practice that they're seeing that we're not seeing. No, I can Josh, say Josh put it. Josh put it perfectly. It's a case of Degs has his guys, and Jack Burke just isn't one of them. Well, look, I can say without equivocation, Jack Burke is not hurt. Jack no, Burke is Jack, fine. Jack Burke is healthy. Number as two, can be. number two, Degs has his guys. But how the hell is Jack Berg not one of those guys? He's been here one of the longest, if not the longest, him and Austin Bradford. I think Austin Bradford has just turned 24. I mean, the guys are yeah. grown, man. And I think Jack's right behind him. So how the hell when you have your, you know, it's not so secret anymore. They had a team meeting last week. Why isn't Jack part of that? Why isn't Jack? Jack is a grown man. Jack has seen the ups and the downs. Jack has, he's been tutored under Tony. Okay. The guy that you supposedly call your mentor. Don't you think that he imparted some wisdom on Jack Burke? Jack Burke needs to be an integral part of this team. He is a competitor. He is the ultimate competitor. Robe trusted him against LSU on midweek. He trusted him in the Shriners against Vanderbilt. He trusted him in his very first freshman start to come out and get the Cajuns out of a bases loaded, nobody out jam against Louisiana Tech. I'll never forget it. And the kid delivered. He named him the Friday night guy against Texas in 2018. I mean, that's right. On the road. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And he pitched so a what, game that what, day. What, yeah. what, why, why was Jack Burke so trusted by Tony Robichaux, but, but yes. it's a situational guy right. to Matt Dix? Mm, I don't know. You know. Those are questions not, that need to be explored, in my opinion, because I think, again, that is a symptom of a larger problem. I told you all two and a half months ago. We're not developing trust in the locker room. Something is amiss. Something is just not right with the way that we're handling personalities and the way that we're treating our most, our most senior guys. And I'm glad that we did the, the episode that we did last week because it is really, it spurred some conversation that's really not been talked about up until this point. And, and I just want to say, look, to add on to what you just said, Josh, and I know we like to joke about disclaimers. Look, to, if anybody's listening, we're not here to criticize because we want to criticize. We love this program. We know what we, we see the potential that this program has. We see the potential that this team has. It's, it's hard to watch inconsistencies. And, and I understand. And, and I agree. I mean, I think there's some things where obviously we're not coaches, but we have eyes. We see, and I keep saying that we have eyes. We see certain things. Um, and, and I believe that the, the, the thing is it once, once it gets corrected, whatever it is, this team can be so dangerous. That's what's so frustrating. This team can be so dangerous because they're, they've got talent. They're good. I agree with all of that. I would say one thing that I am here to criticize. 
when when a program that I love is floundering for absolutely no explainable reason, I'm going to criticize. Now, I don't want Dex fired. I'm not on the fire Dex train, not even close. But it's like going to a restaurant that you've always gone to and they switch management. I don't, I'm not out here looking for a free meal. I'm not out here for you to comp me. I'm telling you that you have an issue in the kitchen that you need to fix it because I want to come back to your damn I have, restaurant. I have, I have a story that goes right with that. Caitlin and I went to Texas Roadhouse. I don't know, a couple months ago. Whenever they had the... Um, was was it a was it an ice storm in Texas? That would happen back in the beginning, like February. We'd we'd gone to Texas Roadhouse and we waited, I don't know, an hour, because I mean that's a normal way to Texas Roadhouse on the weekends. And we finally get our, our table and we sit down and the, the waiter comes up to us and they go, Hey, just want to let you know, um, we're out of this, this, we don't have fries, and we don't have bread. I said, wait, y'all don't have bread. I'm out. I literally got up and left. How do you go to Texas Roadhouse and not eat the rolls with the cinnamon butter? Oh, man, that's, that's that trade. Yeah, when, when, they, when they told me that, I, I got up and left. No, not, not doing and, that. And what I mean by, and look, what I mean by criticize, I'm, I'm just saying we, it's one thing to point out things as fans because we care. You know, it's another thing. When I say criticize, some people just criticize to criticize. They want to add drama. You're not, Josh. I'm just saying, like, it's more of, we're saying these things because we know that this team has potential. We know that this team is a lot more capable of what they're showing right now. And the team knows that the coaches know that everybody knows that we're just trying to figure out what, what it is. I mean, we don't know. Yes. Um, and you're not wrong that some people criticize, criticize, but it's just like we say with, you know, Tony, he has skins on the wall. You three or us three, you two, we all have skins on the wall. I don't show up here to sit down and bash everybody. And one thing I will not do is defend myself every time I have a, a critical uh, assessment of what I'm watching, especially oh, we, when oh, we're we getting know. feedback, especially when we're getting <laughs> feedback from people around the program, you know, certain people, I don't, you know, I don't want to say any names, but when we're being told this is exactly what we're seeing happening, this is exactly how we feel, this is exactly how the players feel, I'm damn sure not going to say, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to criticize. Hell no, I'm going to criticize. We need to figure this out. The coaches need to figure it out because that's their goddamn job. That's what they're paid to do. You get paid to come here, develop the program, and win. That's what you're paid to do. I understand that there are nuances involved. You want to raise men the proper way. You want to give fairness across the board where it can be. But let me look at Jack Burke's numbers again, and let's talk about fairness, okay? There, there needs to be some critical, uh, not necessarily an insult, but critical assessments of everybody involved. And that's not necessarily holding the coaches accountable. I'm not a huge fan of that saying. But if we don't say it, who's going to say it? The Ask Kissing newspaper ain't going to say it. The, the radio stations certainly aren't going to say it. KLFY's 15-second uh, sports segment on, on 530 News is certainly not going to say it. The reason why we exist is to be able to say things and have conversations that nobody is willing to have. Sure. Well, we're fans. We're fans. And, and on the other hand, we also, I mean, look, we go to the games, you know, we're there, we're, we're, we, we put, we put our rear ends on the seat and we add it, we add to attendance numbers. And uh, you know, lately it, it hasn't, you know, I know, I know the coaching staff is, you know, coach, coach Rogue talked about it. Coach Daggs talks about it. They do everything they can to put a good product on the field because, you know, they know people are paying money to see it. And, um, hey, I mean, they got that opportunity this weekend. Put a good product on the field, show us something, and then build on that. 
Build on. Yeah, and I will I will cap it with this. We love this program. We have for a long time. I'm going to love it after Deggs is gone. I want Matt to win. It just makes too much sense. He's a perfect fit. That there's history. There's you know we like his family. I like his style of baseball to a certain degree. What in my opinion, what we're seeing now is not what we saw at South uh, at Sam Houston. I'm sorry. Yeah, this uh, isn't so Deggs baseball. It's 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 concerning, and it's also it's it's I'm curious about what's going on, but at the same time, is I want it to work. I'm not saying run his ass out of town. I'm saying, hey, let's come to the table, not us, but them. Come to the table and figure out where the weakest link is. We got to fix the problem. Yep. No, I mean, I I definitely 100% agree, um, and I, I also agree about the the the, the, the criticism. Point. I mean, again, not gonna not gonna throw out names, but when you have parents of players reaching out to you and saying, "Hey, this is one hundred percent the thoughts that even the players are having," well, even more than that, saying thank you, right? You guys are the only ones willing to talk about it. That's yeah, that's gotta, also a shame. I was surprised um, by that from some supporters over the weekend that stopped me at the game. Big time supporters, like we're talking supporters who've been watching and following this program and have put a lot of money, blood, sweat, and tears into this program as a supporter for decades, stopping me saying thank you for saying these things. And, and, and it's like I told them, and I'll tell everybody listening, that's what I mean by we're not here to criticize. We just, we, we're, I mean, yeah, I mean, we're criticized things that we notice as fans that look we're, a little We're, off we're constructively us, criticizing. Yeah. At the end of the day, like we still love this program and we want, we want what's best for the program. We want this program to succeed and, and, and compete for championships like we're capable of doing, you know, we didn't build a $20 million stadium to be 500 in the Sun Belt. You know, we didn't, we're not, we're not trying to raise money for, you know, extra amenities to the stadium that we're trying to raise money for now to, to be 500 in the Sun Belt. You know, we're not paying a coaching staff the amount of money we're paying to be 500 in the Sun Belt. And look, We've talked about it with basketball. We've talked about it with football. And we'll say it about baseball. Nobody gets a free pass here. You know, there's a return on investment. We're all investors in this. And so until we get a return, people are going to ask questions. And so I think, you know, I still think they can write the ship. The, te- the team is good enough. See, if the team wasn't good enough, like if they didn't have talent, if they were just weren't good, it's one thing to just say, you know what? We're not a good team. But they are a good team. And they do have talent. And they do have potential. And so I think that they, and they still have time to fix it, but real quickly, guys, I do want to ask y'all before we go into the Razor review rant, we said we would talk about Tyler Robertson being uh, third base. What do you guys think about that? What, what's been, uh, what's kind of on your mind? I'll, I'll, I'll go, I'll go quickly. And I, I said this, you know, in previous episodes in, in a 50 game baseball season by game number 20, game number 25, especially when you get into conference play, your lineup needs to be the same damn thing every night. Unless there's an injury, it needs to be the same nine guys in the same position every single night. That's how you build consistency. That's how you build momentum. The fact that, and and, and regardless of, of how, how TR did, honestly, I was so busy this weekend, I don't think I watched much of any of the games. I listened to one on the radio while I was driving. But regardless of how TR played at third base, here, here's, the, here's the cut and dry. Here, here's the truth of it. When your center fielder, who's been playing center field all year long, has made multiple sports center top 10 plays, 
magically in game number 41, you say, hey, let's put our center fielder at third base. The hardest position in the infield. As a fan, even a casual one, I sit here and go, I'm sorry, what? Like that just, it just doesn't make any sense to me because you have got, you have a guy like Josh Cofield. You have a guy like Jonathan Brandon. You have a guy like Kevin Fitzgerald guys that are solid third basemen and two out of three of them have had a solid bat this year. You have a guy like Brett Borgonio who again, you know, obviously he's better at second base or short, but he's a suitable third baseman. He could do the job for you. No, let's let's take our freaking center fielder and, and stick him at third base. Like that just blows and, and maybe maybe I'm looking at it, you know, too critically and I'm just you know overthinking it, but to me it just seems like one of the craziest coaching decisions I maybe have ever seen. Uh, I think the TR move is the epitome of this season because on one hand, I think it worked. On the other hand, I think it did not work. Um, TR is a phenomenal center fielder. However, my guy misses the cutoff man way too much. So, you know, when you see, you see Brennan out there in center, I know Brennan has been dealing with hamstring issues all season. So, of course, my, the very first thing that I think is, is he going to be healthy enough to run down balls? Is his range going to be there? His range was not already not what Tyler's is. So, I think that part is TBD. But I will say I expect, I expect Brendan to hit the cutoff man a little bit more, and hopefully we can keep some runners at first base. So, I'll say that about the move. I thought he played fine at, at third. In fact, he made a couple of highlight real plays. Now, I will say in the – you know those highlight reel plays came when we were losing or far ahead. So in a nut crunching game, maybe those things change, uh, but specific to the lineup, the reason, the stated reason to move him to third was to loosen up the lineup to where we can get all of our best hitters in the lineup. Well, Friday and game two, Saturday, you scored five runs total. So did it work? I don't know. I don't, I don't think five games in, I'm sorry, two, uh, five runs in two games. I don't necessarily think that that's, that's, that's a, a win for you there because how many times has Matt Dick said, we need to score five or six runs to win games. We're almost unbeatable when we score five or six runs. Well, when you spread that over two games, you're not going to win. And guess what? We lost both games. So it's still kind of to be determined. Um, I don't think it was a, a total catastrophe, uh, because he actually played well outside of that very first pitch where him and Brett, you know, had a little bit of a communication problem. Uh, but, you know, I can see how it may work. I just wonder in a tight game, you know, for example, use the play that we lost to Arkansas State on. I'm sorry, Little Rock on where, you know, Brett had to charge, make the play. And I still say 70 percent of that is on Fitzgerald for not laying out and doing the right thing there. But does he make that play? Does he get to that ball? Does he react in that situation? All of those things are, are to be to be determined. And look, he was a shortstop in high school. But, you know, I keep hearing people say that lots of recruits are, you know, high school shortstops, high school center fielders. Typically, your best players come from those positions. So I don't necessarily take that into consideration. I'm not saying that he can't play short or third uh, because he showed that he definitely can. And he showed that he's rangy, made some great plays. But the, the jury's still out on that. I still need to see the lineup 
produce. And, you know, the overarching thing that continues to happen is we move guys around. We try certain things. It's just not happening. It's just not happening. Yeah. You know, whenever I first found out that they were going to move him, I was kind of, I mean, I think most just about everybody who reacted to it just kind of raised their eyebrows. And it's kind of goes back to the question of what Josh was saying. You're like, well, why, what, why, for what, you know? And I understand the logic behind it. I understand the rationale of trying to add more hitters to the lineup, but in order for you to add more hitters to the lineup, you got to hit, you got to respond. Uh, when you do that and you get a combined score of five runs in two games, um, you know, you look at the plan and go, well, maybe the plan didn't work as well as you, you would hope for. And so I do expect the coaching staff to keep T-Rob at third um, and Brennan at center. Uh, you know, I forgot about that. I forgot that Brennan had some hammy problems early on, and I'm hoping that, you know, that's healed well enough to where he can, you know, run down some balls. I think Brennan is a great outfielder in general. He's done a great job at left field so far. Um, but, you know, moving to center field is a little bit different. And so hopefully, you know, that, that this weekend, again, I keep bringing up this weekend because – this is where the lineup can really solidify itself. This is where we can definitely see whether or not it Woo-hoo, the lineup solidifies itself on May 7th. Hey, you know what? It's better than not solidifying itself at all. And, and so that's been the big, and that's been the big elephant in the room all season is the lineup where we're moving the lineup around every other game. I think, like you said, Matt, I agree with you. I think by conference, we should have had at least familiarize ourselves with a lineup that would be more consistent in spite of matchups, right? If you, if you're, if you're betting, if you're, you know, have a, a starter on the mound that's a lefty against you compared to a righty. There's some things you can tweak, but you still want to keep things as consistent as possible. Um, but, you know, with T-Rob at third, I think he did okay for, you know, I mean, look, you're playing in Division One baseball and you're moving to the infield from being out, an outfielder. He did okay for what was, what, what, he was, what was expected of him. I thought he made some great throws to first. Actually, he probably has one of the better arms on the team from what I saw on his relays to first. But Still, uh, being able to feel ground balls, being able to make stops, being able to get in front of the ball, that's a totally different story when you're, when you're playing for your first time in, in, in Division One. So I just hope it gets better. Um, I hope that he's able to improve there because I do think he's going to stay there for the rest of the season. Uh, whether or not it works, we're, we're going to find out real, real soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Let's- well, Matt, hold on real quick before we I want to end on a positive note. And just to kind of cap Jerry's thing is typically we, we, I think you'll see going forward is going to be uh, CJ at second, Lede at short and TR at third. That's that's what I'm hearing, which is unfortunate because I don't so think that's our Morgan? best lineup. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I will say this to to end on a positive note. Uh, Cook was unbelievable again on Saturday. And I got to tell you, as a hitter, you you don't press when you know that Cook's going to go out there and throw up zeros. So credit to the guys for just nickel and diming um, Texas State pitching into the later innings. I thought that was one of our most well-played and complete games of the season. You know, hopefully we can do that without having to get an absolute gem from our starter. Uh, Hopefully we can start to put those games together, you know, consistently. Obviously every team would love that, but we really, really need it. And I think we're due. So uh, that would be my last thought about baseball this weekend. All right. This weekend, the Cajuns will host North Alabama Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 6, 4, and 1. Pre-game on radio 30 minutes before first pitch as usual. All right, gentlemen, let's get into the Rage and Review rant. Um, Jerry, I know I know you want to touch on this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just set it up and let you, you know, let you go at it. 
Um, ESPN released their post-spring football top 25 yesterday. Um, and the Cajuns come in at number 16, which again, power rankings. This is not, you know, a preseason top 25, anything like that. Um, power rankings always skew from what the actual top 25 is going to be. Here's where this gets interesting. We are currently ranked four spots above LSU and Baton Rouge is just absolutely throwing a fit about it. Um, if you go to Tiger Droppings, there's a there's a thread about the top 25 rankings. And, you know, I'm going to just read a few of the comments and then I'll let Jerry, you know, take it over. One guy says that regardless of how good they are and how bad we are, LSU still beats ULL by four touchdowns. One guy said, that's laughable. One guy says, they play football at ULL? Didn't even know that. One person said that USL's head coach wants O's job. So then, finally, a Cajuns fan on Tiger Droppings jumps in and says, hmm, smells like insecurity in here. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. He said it smells like insecurity in here. Which, I mean, it, it kind of does. and But, you know, there's one guy, uh, one thing I will say that I like about Tiger Droppings is that, you know, there, there's all pe- there's all kinds of different people that even, even live in South Louisiana, and they aren't a fan of either program. Like this one guy, he's a Navy fan. He's, he says, plain and simple, play each other head-to-head and settle it. Why not? Why not play it? I mean, do I do I think the Cajuns would win if we played each other? No, no, I don't. I don't. LSU. I mean, as as much as I love our football program and I love the Sun Belt Conference, you're comparing. Let's see what what's a what's a good comparison here. You're you're comparing Ruth's Chris with Outback. Let me, let me help you out, Matt. LSU would get beat by Iowa State last year and this year by two scores. The Cajuns would beat LSU by two scores. It's not even close. We're so much better. I'm not saying that historically we've been better. Obviously, that would be ridiculous to say. This year, last year, and next year, we're going to be better. Whoa. You really right, think so that? I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and... Um, Wow. Sort of, this is where my rant comes in. You know, Getting with the raisin rant, Jerry. The, the issue comes not necessarily, first of all, like, like Matt said, the, 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 what I, it's, first of all, it's respect. Whenever you get a 16th ranking from ESPN, the largest sports network out there, uh, when they give you a 16th ranking, oh, and then they call you Louisiana Raging Cajuns on their article, which, by the way, the guy on Tiger Droppings edited it to Louisiana Lafayette, which is did. pretty, I thought that was, that was pretty did. cute. Um, when you get that type of respect from ESPN, that speaks volumes because what you're seeing is that it's not the biased pundits in the state. It's a national pundit who has no, no skin in the match. They're, they're the ones giving their analysis. Okay. So that number one is respect. Okay. That's respect for us. That's respect for what Billy Napier and his staff has done with this program in such a short amount of time. That's respect. The second thing is, is one thing that people here in Louisiana tend to do, especially 
uh, and the, and the LSU fan base and not all of them. Like I've said before, this is a disclaimer. I got family that went to LSU. I got friends who are diehard LSU fans who have nothing but respect for what we've done. But then you've got the sidewalk fan who's usually the loudest complaining about the fact that we're ranked higher than LSU. Well, here's the facts. Okay. Here's the facts right now. Last year we were 10 and one. We finished 15th in the country. Your team finished five and five and you gave up 600 yards apiece to a Missouri and Mississippi state team who really they were okay, but they weren't that good. And they both of those teams were worse than Iowa state, a team that won the Fiesta bowl and was in the big 12 championship and lost to UL by 17. And everybody wants to say, well, the Cajuns, if, if, if any other day they would have played, they would have lost, blah, blah, blah. The game was later in the season. They, Iowa state would have won. Well, here's the facts. They played in September. The ball was kicked off. It was a fair game. The Cajuns had no real advantage over Iowa State, and they won by seven. Zero. Zero advantage. So, we, we, scheduled, we scheduled the game with three weeks to spare, and we even agreed to go to their house. We had zero effing advantage. And, no, the offense wasn't great in that game for us. But defensively and special teams, we owned Iowa State for all four quarters. Well, the, I think what bothers me, and this is where the rant comes in, there tends to be a sense of entitlement with some, not all, some of the fan base there because they think because of the three letters on their helmet that says LSU that somehow they're just automatically better without really looking at the semantics of it all. Okay, again, let's be real. LSU's defense, because people were asking on the, on the message board and I saw some people respond. You know, I'll, I'll explain it like this. Without even really talking about who's better in this and that, people are like, well, you know, ULL hasn't scored a touchdown against LSU in God knows how long. Well, first of all, the last matchup was in 2009. You really want to compare UL's football team to 2009 compared to now? You really want to compare those two teams? Because We've had team two different coaches since then. And it was, a six, it was 12 years ago. They were a 6-6 six six team. This team is ranked 15th in the country. There's a difference. There's a discrepancy there. That's like comparing the 1999 LSU team to the 2019 LSU team. One team went three and eight and fired their head coach. The other one might go down as the greatest team in the college football history. So you really can't compare that. Secondly, and this is where I really want to bring it up. People are like, well, do you think ULL would have beaten LSU? Look, talent doesn't always dictate who wins. Let's be honest. Troy went into LSU in 2017 and just pounded it down LSU's throat and won that game. Talent-wise, LSU was the better team. Now, on the other hand, let's bring it down to last year. Do I think UL would have beaten LSU? There's really a yes. There's really could be a yes and no answer to that because what LSU team are we talking about? Are we talking about the LSU team that showed up against Florida that beat the number six Florida team? Or are we talking about the LSU team that played a, a weak Auburn team and lost by 30-something points? There's a difference there. If you would ask me who would have won last year, the LSU team that showed up to Auburn would have lost to UL. Yes, I said it. Yes, no, they, I really they believe that. They would have. They would have lost to UL. Here's, now, here's the LSU team that showed up against Florida, I really think the Cajuns probably wouldn't have beaten that team. Would not have. But 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 th that's the thing. Like this idea that because you have the three, the three letters on your helmet doesn't mean anything unless you show up. Well, That's see, what people need to understand. Here, here, here's here's the thing that I love. You know, we're, you, you talk about the sense of entitlement, and that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, no, not 
No, let me let me. It couldn't be more true. true. Couldn't be more yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, the the funniest thing I think I've ever heard is you know you, you're talking to somebody about LSU, and you tell them that you're a UL fan, and you're like, oh, you know LSU would cream UL, blah blah blah. Okay, well, and th- and then you go, well, are you a student or you know affiliated with LSU at all? No, I go to Southeastern. <laughs> what the f- excuse my French? What the fuck is your program done? Well, it's like it's, it's you, more you, or less. you were you were on the same level of the totem pole in recent years as as UL is, and now we've far exceeded where you know Southeastern, McNeese, Northwestern, you know those schools are. And, but and yet, I go back. I go. I, I, go ahead. Go ahead. Every every other out. school in the state joins forces with LSU, and I just don't understand. But you know what? That's why LSU has more of a problem with us than anybody else in the state. And that includes Tulane. Um, that's why most of their fans don't oh like God, us dude, more than anybody Tulane else. is so far up LSU's ass, it's hilarious. And they're an old rivalry. They're considered the oldest rival in the state. But, but here's the difference. And, and, and a lot of LSU fans need to understand this. We're not LSU. We're, we're Louisiana. We're the raging Cajuns. We have our own identity. And that's where, and it's like I told Brent, uh, Brent last week when he came on about, about uh, Texas state and the identity of how you, how we talked about how UL has this identity in the Sun Belt, how we have a passionate fan base well, with that passion comes pride in our own school. We don't owe anything to anybody else in the state of Louisiana, regardless of whether it's LSU, Louisiana tech, Tulane, whoever, you know, we have our own identity. When you go to a UL game, you don't see people wearing purple and gold. You see people wearing vermilion and white. You see people wearing raging Cajun gear. I can't say that about other schools in the state outside of maybe Tech and maybe Tulane. But when you go to other, other stadiums, you're going to see people wearing purple and gold, even when it's not an LSU game. We have our own identity. And I think a lot of people can't understand that. And, and so, again, I'm going back to what we talked about in this article First of all, it's a pre, it's a post spring. We're not even in summertime yet. And people are freaking out. So and it's, a, and it's, a damn, it's a damn power ranking. Who cares? Who it's cares? Not even, it's not even an official I mean, poll. Look, I, I don't expect us. I hate to say it like this, but I don't expect us to stay there all season long. I really don't. I think we, we have a chance to be in the top 25, but I don't expect us to stay at 15. Now, granted, we go to Austin, we take care of business and beat the Texas Longhorns. Yeah, we have a shot to do that. But it's a post, it's not even a preseason ranking. It's a post spring ranking. We're not even in the summertime yet. And people are freaking out about it. And look, I understand in their minds, what is this small, what is this school in Louisiana? Why is it that this other school besides us is ranked like this? What does that say about our program? I get that. But this idea that we would automatically beat ULL by five touchdowns. So how do you know that? How do you know let's, that? You, you said the same thing against Troy in 2017. You said the same thing against Missouri last year when they put up 600 yards. My favorite is when they downplay Iowa State. Oh, well, you'd only beat Iowa State. Iowa State had a quarterback that was a Heisman Trophy candidate. He probably would have hung 600 on they you, were, too. They were a game away from the playoffs. They, went, they won they the were Fiesta a game. Bowl. Even after losing, to they us, won the Fiesta Bowl. Even they after won the losing, Fiesta Bowl, they were a top 10 team. What, even even I mean, after. Really, even after losing to us, if they beat Oklahoma in that conference championship game, they're in the playoff. So what? So that's what I'd like to know is, oh, well, that's only Iowa State. That Iowa State well, team probably would have beaten you last year. Most likely they would have with your terrible defense and their passing attack. 
they might have hung 600 yards on you. Here, just like the, an average Mississippi State and Missouri team did. Here's here's the funny thing. Okay, so there, I, I, I continued reading on Tiger Droppings, and it just, it just gets better. There's six pages of this, and it just gets better. There's this one guy, again, not going to name drop. This is, uh, and I quote, well, that's just retarded. Whoever's putting this poll together because ULL wouldn't have beaten LSU last season with LSU's bad defense and all. LOL. I don't know where or how I should say some of these fools get the positions that they get at ESPN and other sports places. And I, I scroll down a little bit, and there, a Notre Dame fan chimes in, and he, he quotes the part about ULL wouldn't have beaten LSU with LSU's bad defense. He says, well, UL is better than Missouri and Mississippi State, who both destroyed LSU. And then the same guy who made the first comment comes back and says, oh, um, you know, Oklahoma's going to be good with that kid at quarterback. Radler, I think, is his name. Doesn't even know about Spencer Radler. But anyways, uh, but they will be typical OU with a lot of high scoring and bad defense. I still don't think they beat LSU. See, that's just straight Dude, up. Dude, L- Oklahoma up. would rip LSU apart. Would rip them well, apart. But what did I just say? That goes back to the whole because oh, that, the three that letters is, on the helmet. But, here, three but letters, here's you know the three letters on on your helmet. You know what LSU, it is. The, the, the LSU letters on your helmet does not automatically mean no. You're just you know win what you know. You know. Up. You know what it is. It's fear. Of course it is. It's fear Look, covered by an ego. Seven pages of this on that thread. Those seven ugly pages. Those ugly posts. Those ugly bastards. Are scared to get their ass kicked by little brother. It's seven pages of a post spring poll. We're not even in the summertime yet, and people are freaking out. It's a post spring poll, and and I'll, we're I'll, not even in. We're, we're, and I'll, mean, I'll say on. I'll say this, and this will be and this will be my last point about this because I hate talking about LSU. You got your own fish to fry right about now, buddy. I was about to say you, that. You, you, know? you might not have a football program in a year or so. so I was about to say that, too. I, I would worry about your own backyard before you start worrying about your, your Sunbelt co-champs down the road. What makes me laugh is you're worried about our name. You're worried about what we're doing in football. You're worried but yet, about... But yet you're running, back, of, you're running backs raping you people. But you're running backs raping you know, people, I mean, and that's okay. I mean, how many points you're beating us by and all this stuff yet? You've got 12 or, you know, 2,500 investigations going on at your school in multiple sports. you got, you know, your reputation is basically almost shot right now in the sporting world. Everybody almost. knows what's, what's going on. I mean, I'm talking about almost because he haven't been officially punished yet. But, you know, you've got a football coach that is accused of lying about one of your players sexually assaulting somebody. You've got the tennis team involved with title nine. You've got your not, basketball coach getting investigated by the FBI. Not to and mention you're about us, not to mention embezzling, like, not to mention on. embezzling funds from a childhood cancer fund. And, and look, are I you kidding me? LSU boosters. You know, what's funny is most of the big LSU boosters. I know LSU supporters. They don't care about all this stuff we're talking about because they worry about them. And I, I, I respect that. They have respect for us. We have respect for them. Some of them are embarrassed by what's going I, on I, right I, now. About, I was about to say, if I was an LSU booster, and, I'd be pulling every penny I'm given. I don't want my name associated with any well, of it. And, and so my thing is, 
like I said, and I keep talking about this, I got a lot of close friends who are big time LSU fans, LSU alumni, and there's a mutual respect. But when these, I call them the Walmart fans come in and they start yip yapping about all this commotion and they want to make noise. They don't know really what's going on. You just sometimes most people would say, take the, take the higher step and, 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 and ignore it. But right now what I'm doing, I'm just pointing it out and just kind of laughing Ignoring at it. That's why fun. I wanted to talk about the rant today. Cause talking about it and seeing how ridiculous this is, it's, I just had to bring it up. Look, I don't have any animosity towards LSU as a whole. We got to worry about us, right? Coach Tony Robichaud used to talk about it. Whatever, whatever team we're playing, we win by worrying about us. And that's how I feel about it. But I had to bring that up because seven pages, man, oh, it's seven ridiculous. pages of this Josh. On, their, on their message board about a postseason uh, spring football poll. I mean, Josh looks on, like guys. Josh looks like he's ready to spit some some fire, some fire. Uh, you guys said it. Uh, I got five words. Burn it to the ground. I mean, burn it to the ground. I mean, I, 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 hope, I think I think I, I think hope the multiple N- administrators go to prison. I hope I think the NCAA go to prison. I think the NCAA and the FBI are going to help us with burning it to the ground. Burn it to the ground. Let it burn. Rise from the ashes. Start anew. All that stuff. People need to go to prison. They need total reform. They need they need an enema. They need so an enema down there to at LSU A and M. When you say burn it to the ground, you mean like clear house, basically. Oh God, like, yeah. Just get rid of everybody. Oh God, yeah. I want I want what happened at SMU to be nice compared to what happens at LSU, and I want LSU A and M to drift off into obscurity and have absolutely no power or bearing on anything let's, that happens in this state. Because let's face it, as you know, you guys are talking about a, a power index, and that's what they're pissed off about—not the rape allegations or the embezzlement and whatnot. When when sports ceases to be any kind of good or anything worth notoriety when all of that stops LSU will be completely irrelevant. Like they belong, they belong in irrelevance because they have built that program on the backs of student athletes, young women, and they have continued to build the program only based off of the success on the field. Their academics suck. Their standards suck. Their admissions are a joke. Their administrators are a joke and crooked and corrupt it's been like this oh, but for if you, years. But if you, if you finally, talk to, it's coming out. But if you talk to their students, their their admissions and their their education is just so much better than what you could get anywhere else. Listen up. We can do a whole thing about students, LSU students versus anybody else. I have a whole lot of it around me. We talk about this re, uh, regularly. Uh, but that's for that's for another podcast. The only I'm thing, just telling you. The only thing that I would give to LSU in terms of education is their broadcasting department. Their broadcasting well, department is one of the when, tops in the country. When you steal money from the taxpayers of this state for 150 years, when you write bills and legislation that funnel money to this university, when you have a governor in the 30s that literally built everything to funnel infrastructure and money to LSU and set up that power structure, of course they should have better broadcasting and better engineering and better math and better this, but they don't. That is the, the travesty of it all. They should be the Harvard of the South. Instead, they're on par with Southern. And I'm not well, ripping I'm Southern. Say, I'm just saying Southern has very limited resources when you compare it to LSU. Well, I was going to say too, like, you know, the degrees you get at LSU, I mean, LSU does have some good programs. I mean, look, I got friends that went there. They got good degrees. The problem is, 
there's no excuse for them not to have good degrees because yes. of the money that they've received for for a century. For a century. I, mean, I don't that, want anybody to misunderstand. You know, I'm not saying that there's a bunch of idiots running around LSU. I'm not, there's not no saying there's a bunch not of to. idiots running around LSU, but I'm not saying there's a bunch of idiots running around LSU. But here's the thing. They should be on par with a two-lane and beyond. The only difference is they've taken money and they've squandered it. They've taken money and, and they've embezzled. They've taken money and stuck it into athletics. And the money is not being spent on academia the way it should be. The, the freaking institution has been broke for I don't know how long now. Now, some of that has to do with the, the political environment in the state. But athletics is certainly not broke. Look at their endowment. Look, at, look, at, look at their foundation. Athletics donates millions of dollars to academics each year because keep everybody's the doors putting open. money and, and to keep the lights on. I mean, right Correct. now, LSU, there's been big talks, and I've talked to students about this, talking about they, they're due for a new student union. They're due to – they can't keep the lights on in some of the buildings. Teachers are complaining that their salaries aren't high enough as opposed to other uh, flagship institutions. I mean, if you look at Correct. their ranking academically in the SEC – they're in the bottom. They're in the bottom, bottom five in the SEC compared to everybody else. And that's in the you SEC, know, not exactly an, an academic conference. And here's the thing: they have nobody to compete with in this state for what well, the, re- for the resources that they have, and for the for the historical uh, revenue that they've produced, and the population, and their geographical area. Who the hell are they competing with? They should be freaking Notre Dame in the South, but they're not. Because these people's priorities, just like most of the state, are ass freaking backwards. And that's why I say burn it to the ground. Look, when you have your head football coach uh, during COVID in a press conference with the governor talking about wearing a mask or put a mask on because people will listen to the head football coach, where are your priorities? You got a problem. Or, 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 you know, and and I'm not going to bash what the man does in his his personal life, but... You know, he clearly just has his priorities backwards because, you know, obviously everybody knows he he's under investigation for lying about the Darius Geis situation. He and his wife of 20 some odd years get a divorce. And then he starts floating around social media with some college girl. That girl had well, to be a college a student. She's a little bit older. No, she is a little bit older. Uh, but but the reality is, is you, like, you, it's like social media in, in general. You have to be careful because the job of head football coach at LSU in the state of Louisiana is kind of like, like being the governor. I mean, he is, you he are is, the he face. Is, he is asking um, to just get ripped to shreds. But the problem is, again, that's where the and look, look, man, I'm a, we're, we're all Louisiana born and raised. But that's the problem with the state. When you prioritize what the football coach is doing of a college over anything else, when the when, when the football coach in your state has to go in a press conference with the governor to tell people to mask up because they'll listen to him over the governor. Right. That priorities. Priorities. Oh, that's yeah. what it comes down to. But anyway, we can talk about this all. Yeah, day. we, we could have a we could have a three hour, we could have a three hour episode <laughs> on how much we hate LSU and the reasons why. But all right, Cajun Nation, that's gonna do it for this week's edition of Rage and Review, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Rage and Review. You can follow us on, you can follow our website, RageandReviewPod.com. You can get episodes, sponsorship information, all that good stuff over there. Um, This has been, this was the actual first episode of Rage and Review presented by Nightlife. So, you know, big, big, big things coming. 
with with nightlife. Talk about on, that, Matt. On social media, uh, nightlife is a college brand. Basically, it's um for for layman's terms, it's barstool in Lafayette. Um, two UL students started it, and with the hopes of expanding into a apparel and media brand that covers every school in the state of Louisiana. Um, we have a great partnership with those guys. They're going to do a lot for us in terms of hitting a whole new market of of people that, we're, that we've been trying to reach for a long time. Um, so we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to helping them reach a new market as well. So uh, we'll, we'll dive more into that later, but just big things coming between Rage and Review and Nightlife. So stay tuned for all of that. Gentlemen, appreciate you joining me as always. And uh, we'll, we'll talk after a couple of baseball victories this weekend. All right, Cajun Nation, be safe, be well, and as always, go Cajuns.